0: This week on Off the Crossbar, Josh Sanderson. The awards are coming, Josh Sanderson. The Wild Wild West rears its ugly head again, Josh Sanderson. It's a four horse race out east, Josh Sanderson. And the Coquitlam Junior Adnax are 14 and 0. Oh, and in case you didn't hear, a little bit of Josh Sanderson. All that and more this week on OTCB.
1: It's a very intense sport. I'm a very intense guy, so it fits me well that way. You gotta be able to take a hit and give it a hit. If you can't take a hit, you're not gonna last long. If you're pounding guys. Guys are pounding you, and. Emotions run high, and you got to be able to control them. Everybody says, Oh, it's so rough and dangerous, but when you're on your two feet, you get hit, you're a lot more balanced. You can still get hurt, don't get me wrong, but it's not as bad as some people let on. I think anybody who plays a certain sport that they love is always going to think theirs is the best, but to me, I don't know what I'd be doing without lacrosse. People like contact, you're not into a 2 1 game, you're always usually going to have a 10 9 or up. There's just so much going on. They say it's the fastest sport on two feet. As far as entertainment, I don't know how you beat it. You can't go out there and go through the motions there's no gliding or anything like that you gotta put it all on the line if you don't have that heart or that passion to play it's very noticeable so you gotta be willing to give it your all that's the way it should be in our sport
0: if there's ever a call to action for the National Lacrosse League and the sport of lacrosse I think that quote and that piece of audio from Josh Sanderson could very well be it Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Teddy Jenner, and this is a jam-packed show in the sense that Josh Sanders and I have a fantastic conversation uh, about his lacrosse career. And we're going to get to that pretty quick right out of the gate, just because the guy deserves as much time as he wants, Really. Um, after 19 years in the National Cross League, I had to—I actually had to count and go back and think. Like, there's no way that Josh was in the National Cross League for 19 years. So I looked, and sure enough, look at that—19 years. Originally drafted by the Rochester Nighthawks, played bits and pieces of a couple years there before being shipped to the Albany Attack. And when he got there to Albany is right when I got to Rochester. And so I got my fair share of watching and playing against Josh Sanderson. Uh, Both good results and bad. But I never got to play with the man they call Shooter. I only played against him and have watched him numerous times. But as the lore will go, one of the greatest competitors and teammates to ever play the game of lacrosse and he will be greatly missed he will be highly honored he will be recognized and embraced as a true legend pioneer and icon in this sport and in a game that people often associate with big bruising monsters josh sanderson was a little guy in a big man's world. And it didn't matter to him. He had to figure out how to succeed being a smaller guy. And he was never the biggest, never the fastest, but what he was, was smarter than everybody. He would just be able to get around you, use your body weight against you. Uh, Anytime you turned your head, he was gone, cut into the back of the net, misdirection plays, but just always moving, And he would set some nasty, nasty picks. I remember uh, Grant Hamilton having to tie up an extra back pad, just a little foam, you know, 4-inch by 4-inch pad that he had to attach to his, his gear because Josh Sanderson kept on hitting him in the same spot when he would set back picks. But that was just the kind of guy Josh was. He wasn't dirty. He wasn't physical. He wasn't aggressive. He just played it all out, full steam ahead, and wanted to win. He wanted to win more than anybody. And his competitive nature stemmed from his father, uh, the late Terry Sanderson. It's blood and bled and bred through the entire Sanderson clan. And I believe it's in the water in Orangeville, too. There's something, something different about the water in Orangeville. Because, you know, people look at Peterborough and Victoria or New West as these, you know, hotbeds. Orangeville probably produces more players than most associations in all of lacrosse. And in our conversation, Josh kind of talks about it. But imagine if Orangeville had a program where those kids could go through after junior. Like, imagine if there was a senior A Orangeville Northman. Shoots even thought about a senior B team. I think that would be awesome. Just like Victoria should have a senior B team, and we finally do. I think Orangeville would have a wicked senior B team. That's something to think about. Imagine Orangeville with a senior A or B team. All those guys they push through. Um, But as it goes, over 1,300 points for Sanderson, uh, fourth all-time, only four players have more goals, only one player has more assists. He was a leader on and off the floor, and he is a class, class act. And... um, The accolades came all over Twitter uh, from everybody. And it was just a great outpouring of support and praise for 19. There hasn't been any uh, official statement from The Rock about uh, when an official retirement ceremony will be. But you can believe that when it is, it is going to be a fantastic night. Uh, a night to remember and probably a bit of an emotional night as well. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them put up number 19 to the rafters. As Brad Chandler said on Stealth Lax Classified uh, Friday. They only have one number retired. That's Bob Watson's number 35. Veltman's hasn't been retired, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, that 32 hasn't gone up because he was there just as long as Whip was. And it was a part of all those trophies and a part of all those championship years with Les Bartley and, and that whole rock crew of, of the late 90s, early 2000s. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I'm sure they're going to do something. Uh, Josh Sanderson and Jamie Dowick are thick as thieves. Uh, they become incredibly close, both on and off the floor. Uh, obviously, Shooter is uh, a general manager under... Jamie Dowick for the Oakville Rock. What does that mean for the Toronto Rock? Who knows? Um, One can only speculate that Josh Sanders will take a prominent role within the organization. Uh, Again, nothing officially announced from Toronto, but you can kind of see it happening. Like, if you put two and two together, you you could imagine that he will take on some sort of role. um, As I said last week, and as I've said um, for years, or at least the past year and a half, uh, that I truly believe that one day Josh will be the general manager of this organization. I think he should be. So we'll have to wait and see. That highlight that I just played you from Josh Sanderson was um, nine years ago and it was a commercial by Rogers. But it was pretty cool to see just you know or just to listen to it and way back then and it all reigns true. Um, you can't be a passenger. You got to give it your all. There's no coasting, and it's fast game on two feet. And Josh Sanderson played it with the utmost class, dignity, and respect that you would you would um, expect from a guy of his pedigree. And he was humble. He was always, always willing to talk, no matter what. Wins or losses, he always was willing to talk. Even when we were battling each other post-games, always want to talk. And ever since I moved into the this chair behind a microphone, uh, he always gave time to this show um, and, and the radio show preceding this podcast. And I can't say enough good things about Josh Sanderson, uh, the Sanderson family. And he's just, he deserves this. And he's, he'll tell you, well, you'll listen to it in a minute. It wasn't a hard decision for him. And you can kind of tell that just everything that's gone on the last 12 months or so. But officially, Josh Sanderson has retired from the National Lacrosse League after 19 years. So I was able to catch up with Josh Monday afternoon, and we had a lengthy conversation, and I do hope that you enjoy hearing Josh Sanderson, not the last time. One more time, here on OTCB.
2: Eddie, how are you, man? Good, man. How are you? Doing okay, thanks. Same yeah. old. Yeah, how was How was uh, Father's Day for you? It was great, actually. Yeah, I'm the family. We got a pool, so the weather's scorching right now. So. I bet. Yeah, what are you doing with yourself out right there? Oh, you know, living the island life. Uh, keeping busy, playing lots of golf. That's good. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, did you watch the U.S. Open this weekend? i uh, just seen highlights, actually, so, yeah, uh, yeah no, um, I was outside. I usually do try to, <laughs> you know what, ever since Tiger's not been in it, I it just, I obviously still like the top guys, but just yeah. not the same. Yeah, you were a big Tiger guy? Well, I just, he made it more interesting, let's yeah, put it that uh, way. Yeah, no doubt. So were, really were you it. happy to see Dustin uh, Johnson finally get a W, though? I was, yeah, I liked that. I did watch last year when he, fell apart there so I was happy that he uh I was happy that he won it that's for sure are you involved I'll, with any teams out there teddy or what are, uh, uh no I'm just uh I'm just uh doing an for the Shamrocks and covering the WLA I'm not uh, involved with anybody as of now so um okay. I'm independent as they say I hear ya yes yeah. I hear you. I don't know if you're doing any teams or not. No, I, I had coached uh, a Wanda Fuca Peewee team a couple of years ago and then kind of stepped away from it. But the, the itch is always there to get back to coaching, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it, it's a lot of commitment, as you know. Yeah, no, it is a ton. A ton of commitment, especially so, for like three months. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how many kids do you have? Like, what, what's the family life for you? I got four. Um, wow. Yeah, Cameron is my oldest. He's Pee yeah. Wee. So I'm coaching his, and then uh, my daughter's uh, ten. She does. She just finished dance, and she does a little bit of the U11 girls here. Sweet. And then Dylan is my minor novice, and mm-hmm. Owen is my youngest. Awesome. How old is Owen? Owen is seven. Wow. Just yeah. all jammed, all jammed close together, right? Eh? Yeah, we got on a roll, Teddy. We got <laughs> on a roll. A lot of cold winters back here. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, no, 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 it's good now, but it was yeah. uh, well, it was still tough running around. But I bet fairly independent. Yeah. Uh, what do you like about coaching Pee Wee? Uh, oh, geez. You know what? I really enjoy the Tyke and novice more. To be honest, oh, last yeah? year the yeah. Pee Wee was frustrating, and that was good. By the end, and this year I'm finding the same. Just really yeah. frustrating, and, and uh, as the year goes on, I'm starting to enjoy it more. But um, yeah. obviously, you know, I'm going to be at my kids' stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I've had this group for six, you know, six years. I think it's time they need a break. I think that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um But I, you know, I, it's turning it into Peewee's more of you know, you're t- teaching systems and more yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Where my, I'm working with Brucey with the novices, and it's a little bit more not as structured. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, is, is that um, is is that the way things are going? Like I noticed that too in peewee, But now that you know, once you get to that peewee level, it becomes a lot more competitive, and and it kind of sometimes it takes the fun out of it. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, yeah, you're right. It does a little bit. Um, they don't listen. I would say as much either. You yeah. know, the Taika novice, you tell them something, they're doing it. Most cases, yeah. yeah. Pee Wees. You know, they're picking and rolling, which you know we can tell them every practice, but then they wanna go set up in the house, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And not move their feet or set picks or do any of that stuff. So mm. getting them to break all those habits is, is tricky. Yeah. It was that was uh you know, it's tough to get those kids to listen. Um but it's always puts a smile on your face when you see them do it. When you yeah. see the when you see the light bulb go on and you like yeah. see that's what Click we've been in. teaching. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a yeah. cool little thing to see, especially with kids who are 12 and 13, when they finally get it and realize that you're not just telling them things to do things, you're actually trying to make them better lacrosse players. And when they get it, and then they realize it, and then they start doing it over and over again, it really it is one of the better parts of that age group. For sure. Yeah, very rewarding. You know, if they score a nice pick-and-roll goal, it's like, bam, that's you're actually playing lacrosse. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. You're not just more athletic than somebody you can run by. Them. You're actually doing, uh, you know, good stuff to make good things happen. Absolutely. Uh minor is always fun. What do you remember about your days growing up uh playing minor ball? Oh jeez. Um well the later years more. Obviously when yeah. I was just young, you know what I mean? We we're playing with so many different age groups and uh just uh as year went on just a lot more fun. You know, I always had good coaching and um you know, we had successful teams so just mm-hmm. playing with your buddies that you went to school with and and uh learning just like we talked about learning how to play as it went on and you know by the time bantam and midget hit you're actually you know playing real lacrosse and just i just love playing with my buddies and mm, that's that's it and my kids are no different they yeah yeah they love going to the rink you're the same and and playing with your friends and 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 having fun yeah that that was always one of the best things i like we always talked about those kids going to the rink with your buddies like you said how many guys did you grow up with that kind of stuck with you through your whole career not, not so much playing together, but like like when yeah. you got to the higher levels, how many guys were there still? Well, like my age group would have been basically just flipped. Yeah. Um, but a couple of years older, you know, Rusty and Ryan and then yeah, Chris and you know Kenny. Like there's a bunch of uh, guys. I guess they would be 75. Yeah. That I played a lot with um, in the major and pro. So. Um, yeah, I'd say not too many got past junior nineteen seventy sevens. Yeah. yeah. Um let's talk about that junior. I know Jake Elliott hates talking about the story, but the year the Northmen swept the A's in the Minto Cup, was that a pretty uh special moment for you? Well, I wasn't on that team. Oh, I actually were you on thought that I team? could still no, I actually thought I could still play hockey oh. at that point. So uh <laughs> me and Flip were trying it for uh Junior B hockey team, in that series was oh, going on. So yeah, yeah, no, I was ninety five and ninety six. That one, I I played up throughout the year. Yeah, but not uh, not in the mental. What was the? I, I I witnessed. Tell Jumbo, I did witness that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't much a series, but they had a really good team. Yeah, a really good team. So. Um, what was the drive to play hockey? Was it just more of a passion for you at the time? Uh, honestly, growing up, I like both the exact same yeah uh winter and summer and uh, uh me actually my flip uh my cousin flip and uh my be- one of my best buddies had a just a great minor line growing up yeah nice and tore it up so we all thought we were pretty good <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then uh, we all played a little junior uh do a junior B and that's, that's as far as it went so yeah. but hockey was hockey was great growing up too um the 2000 man cup or 2002 man cup um, mm-hmm. which is one I don't like to think about a lot. Um, but you were, absolutely, <laughs> you were absolutely yep. phenomenal, that series. Uh, you'd come off um, you know, a, a loss the year before, in 01 to Coquitlam, and then in 02, that was one of the best lacrosse series i's, I've ever been a part of. What do you remember about that year that was a dramatic Game 7? Well, I remember, you know, I think we kind of felt how you guys felt <laughs> in 2001, 2002. Yeah. I think, obviously, when you're at... We thought we got, um, you, know, you know, I don't want to blame it on refing the year yeah, before. You can but can say Rob, well, okay. You can Rob say it. You close can say to it. And then yeah. uh, I, think, I think he had a couple calls in Game 7, didn't go against you guys. So I remember yeah. us being down and having a storm back. And I remembered how good, uh, you know, how you guys were. I remember actually, a, I still to this day, Victoria killing... Killing penalties in that series. If we didn't score, we weren't getting the ball back because yeah. you guys moved the ball so well when you're shorthanded. We could just never get it back. I do remember that part. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember the hit on Reiker, and you know <laughs> it was just a crazy series. It was Just you know it that's was. what went in. That's why winning a man cup is so tough. Yeah, just I know. Seven games, grueling, and um, and you know I remember Victoria being a lot better than I, I thought. Yeah, it was it um, was one hell of a series. It was. It was crazy. Yeah, it was really good um let's let's kind of jump to some things uh how tough was this decision to finally make the call to stop playing it wasn't tough at all no not no. one bit nope not one bit I i can't play at the level i yeah. need to play or want to play and expect myself to play and you know i was again like last year honestly i thought after uh Obviously, last year was uh time to call it, or you know mm-hmm. I obviously end up coming back and playing uh, a few games or so, but it just uh cemented in my in my mind uh it's just i my can't play I can't play, yeah. I can't play yeah. like i used to yeah. I, I don't have the quickness and you watch some of these guys shoot Teddy as you know yeah. um yeah it's just uh yeah time to move on and, and I'm fine with it yeah do you like i get a lot of people asking me this question um you know if, if the rock were six and oh and they didn't have those injuries would you have come back last year but if they didn't no. no matter their record um if 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 they if they didn't have the if they had the injuries would you have come back uh that, like know, did that force uh, your yeah, hand a little, little bit Honestly, yeah it did it did yeah to be honest it did because if they're winning everything is going great and that's one of the reasons when I didn't decide not to play. They had lots of lefties. They had Turner, mm-hmm. obviously Doily, uh, Aquin. They had a bunch of lefties there. So I thought it might have been a perfect time to, you know what I mean? And then yeah. um, obviously they're struggling and injuries. And, you know, and I was I was working out. I wasn't necessarily planning, but I was preparing and uh, yeah. it just worked out. But I really, if they were didn't run into injuries and were winning, I, there's, not, yeah. there's no way I would have played last year. Did, did you enjoy being away from it? Or was it painful having to sit and watch? You know, I, I'm starting to just just realizing that you can't do what you want to do out there. Yeah. It's a lot easier not playing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you miss being with the guys away on the weekend and the dressing room stuff. But, you know, you, I always put a lot of pressure on myself to mm-hmm. to perform. And it's a bad, as you know, if, if you're not producing and you're not winning, it's not a good yeah. good feeling. Yeah. So. The uh, w- what's more special, oh five or 09 Oh boy, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I like didn't say it was gonna be easy.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, you know what? They're just so. Uh, Jeez, the oh five. I was with a uh, a lot of. Like I said, "There's some childhood friends yeah. and." you know, there's a lot of pressure around that trade when I got traded to Toronto, so isn't mm-hmm, this and you know, a lot of those guys are still my friends, I'd say you know, if if one had a slight edge it'd probably be 05. But I yeah but I'd still like to think it'd be in a tie. Yeah. That 5 team was pretty special with you, Blaine and Doyler going over hundred points and it's, a lot of people think it's one of the best offenses we've ever seen. What made you three so good together? I'd say IQ and, you know, throw Aaron Wilson into the mix there. Yeah, yeah. He was a goal-scoring machine at that, so um, a lot of chemistry and then uh, just tons of chemistry and, and willing to do, uh, you know, playing a team offense. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, with any team that wins, uh, you need a team offense that puts uh, production ahead of personal stats, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, we had a lot of that. The numbers came along with it, but it wasn't because... You know what I mean? It just came natural. Was Aaron Wilson underrated, you think? Yes, Aaron Wilson was uh, one of the best off ball players in yeah. the history of the game. Him and, yeah, he was so You know, cool. I, I got to play with him, Dan Teet. Yeah. Um, those two, you know, he wasn't in Toronto that year, but, uh, you, know, when I, and, you know, and, you know, lately, Casey Bar- Barron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I, I just think. Their jobs are so. Yeah, they don't get enough credit. Yeah. And Aaron Wilson was, was one of them because he was yeah. a, like he was a goal scoring machine. Oh, he was a beast. Um, was Teeter with you in Albany? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, one, you know, the the quote that kind of always gets brought up from that year you guys lost to Toronto in the championship game was you saying. Uh, You know, it's too bad the people of Albany didn't come out and support us. Do you think it could have worked if it was under a better model or a better business plan? Do you think it could have worked in Albany, or was it just dead from the start? Well, you know, we played our, you know, some of the games we played early there were really exciting and Mm -hmm. just great scoring games. And then if it doesn't, and then, you know what I mean? And then if you don't get the crowds after that, I just, just, yeah, I don't think it could have worked. Yeah, and yeah, no, I think they probably had a good arena lease and all that, Teddy. Yeah, but um, you know, I remember the one game I believe it was us in Washington at the time where Gary is was twenty-one nineteen. It was just tons of yeah. goals and yeah. and rough stuff, and you know, and then after that, you get a game that has like two thousand barely. Yeah, so that's cr- yeah, that's crazy. So it was a big jump, and you know, obviously, seeing what happened in Saskatchewan, if people like the product, they're going to keep coming back. Yeah, exactly. Um, what did you think of the Saskatchewan news when you first heard it? Uh, well, just you just hope in, in our league. You just hope yeah. for good things. You hope to find that right market. And so far it looks like they did. And hopefully uh, the new commissioner can hit some, hit some more markets where the fans love it as much yeah. as the, you do and, and I do. And yeah. um, whenever you hear of expansion, you just kind of hope, okay, you know, the, after that first game, where they sell, 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 right, and it's always yeah, yeah. really good. You hope that second and third are, are the same, where the people actually want to keep going. Where would you put a team if you could? If you, if, if 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 your if your retirement gift from the league was you got to put a team somewhere, where would you put it? Oh, Long Island. I'm an yeah. Islander fan, and I do yeah, think. Uh, I do think uh, I played some games at Nassau, like regular season games with Albany. Yeah. They had like seven, eight thousand. Yeah, I remember they that didn't one. have a very good owner. I'm yeah, Gongus was it, Teddy? Yeah, like
0: that. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: When was Remember him? Kids, yeah, Remember gongous, him? Yeah. He was oh, shady. Yeah, if they had, had a yeah. right facility. Yeah, I do. I do Long Island in a heartbeat. I think uh, there's enough field across there that if you attached it with yeah, some box and got some good American field guys there, it could work. Um, how'd you feel about your Islanders this year? I know it wasn't the the end you wanted, but uh, bright future ahead for you guys. Well, I hope so. I'll see you over the next couple of weeks. But uh, <laughs> we're definitely happy with winning uh, a playoff series. That was, that was a long time coming. So, um, really I've, I've, Yeah, I've always wondered this. Um, where did yeah. the nickname shooter come from? My old man gave it to me um, <laughs> when he was, uh, uh, I guess, geez, he's probably. Where are he playing then i'm not even sure but i i think he, he's one of the, there's a couple stories one was you know you want to be a big goalie or big shooter and i i said shooter but obviously i think there's also one of his buddies that he played with in whether it's Syracuse or Quebec City that you yeah. know had that handle too so mm-hmm. um yeah it's that's stuck that's for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> um
2: you, you talk about uh your old man Terry and and growing up watching him play what was it like in that era uh, especially the, the the league back then of being a part of it as a young kid? Well, I just, obviously, physical. Um, yeah. A lot of, like I remember, obviously, they all had woodies for the most mm-hmm. part. And, yeah, you're paying a price, lots of scraps. He was yeah. one of them. And, yeah, I just remember being very physical and growing up around their teams for four years. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was on all the bus trips and, you know, and then, obviously, that's that's what helped me the most, probably get better at a young age, is him you know they after you know the old days they stay around the arena for 3 or 4 hours and me yeah. and my cousins would be out on the floor just nonstop shooting and playing playing lacrosse so did that did still, that help you as as a, a lacrosse player being around the rink so much yes 100% yeah. yeah 100% always had my stick always trying to be creative and yeah you know just just honing your skills even if you're just having fun with your friends yeah was your old man your your idol growing up Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Was there any other guys that when you were watching that you are like, those guys really stood out for you? Yeah, just some of the guys that he played with that had really good hands. It was a while ago, uh, George Chandler had great hands. A guy named Daryl White, I remember from, um, you know, just playing with him, just really good hands on the crease and, uh, you know, my uncles and uh, obviously my dad and mm-hmm. – yeah, just you know, that's that's how I grew. Up. I grew up watching senior senior play them, them you know, play against yeah. the Brooklyn teams, the Peterborough teams that were stacked. But I have, you know, followed more more the Orangeville team than any. Of course, uh, let's talk about the the Northmen and, and the legacy and just the mystique of that. You know, being here in Victoria or people in New West and people in Peterborough, that that's kind of ingrained in them growing up. Uh, what's so special about Orangeville Northmen to you? Well, just the way um, You know, just the coaching And the way everybody gives back And mm-hmm. the way how proud everybody is To be part of the Northmen In, in a uh, You know, cl- small, close community Everybody has a lot of pride when they put that Northmen head on Yeah, And uh, we got an alumni association be pro- I think it would be probably similar to Vic Obviously Vic's bigger, but yeah. uh, Anybody who wore that shamrock I- I'm guessing it would have the same feeling as anybody Who ever wore the Northmen head do you ever want to wear the Shamrock? Um, you know what? I <laughs> I did. Be, my dad played there back in yeah. the year I was born in '77, so yeah. there was a time for sure. Yeah, just because he had played there for a year, and uh, obviously when I played for Coquitlam, I loved playing over on the island, and yeah. uh, obviously the Man Cups there. I for sure, it's yeah, it's great. But um, yeah, the North. I would have loved to actually play senior in Orangeville too. Yeah, it, I don't know if we ever would had a major team, but uh. You know, even a senior B team for a year would have been awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Um, who was tougher to play for, uh, T or Troy? Uh, jeez. I, I I don't know if they were ever. To me, they're never tough to play for. they were easy to play for, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. They you know. they were obviously very intense and and passionate, but uh, they were both very similar. Um, you mm. know, I just yeah. I, I, don't, I neither of them were tough to play for to be honest yeah, they great yeah, to, they're, they're great to play for um but yeah you're accountable for your actions absolutely that's, yeah, that's there that's uh that's the big thing and i think if you know that uh you can handle the way they coach no problem when people think about Josh Anderson, they think about, uh, you know, just pure skill, uh, a pass-first guy, but a, a better teammate and a guy that was one of the fiercest competitors ever. How would you like to be remembered when people talk about you? Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, being a great teammate and uh, you know, I think I got better, you know, I try to be a better teammate as each year went, went on and mm-hmm. uh, obviously at the end of my career is more important than anything is, is being a good teammate and and producing and doing your job. Like yeah. uh I always try to prepare for the game and always was thinking about the game and uh you know, I'm hoping my teammates uh knew when they're coming to the rink and sat beside me, they know what I knew what I was bringing to the table. You're not always gonna have your best game, but you're always gonna do something to help the team win. Uh an incredible journey that you've been on nineteen years. You wore nineteen. Uh actually why did you wear
0: nineteen? Why was that your number?
2: That's my dad's number. And yes. uh yeah, and it's we love the number. It means a lot. Uh, you know, Cam and Dilly are wearing it. And uh, our number means, uh, you know, because of my dad, 19, means means a lot for sure. Well, you meant a lot to a lot of people, my friend. It was a pleasure watching you play and playing against you for all those years. Uh, congratulations on a fantastic career. Thanks, Teddy. Appreciate it, man.
0: There he is, Josh Sanderson of the Toronto Rock. And as I said, no real um, timeline or date set for a Josh Sanderson night. But um, obviously that will all come when the 2017 schedule is released and the Rock can eventually plan a proper ceremony. Um, As uh, we talked about a little bit in that interview with Josh, and again, want to thank him for giving us some time to just sit and rap about a little bit of everything. Uh, His Oakville Rock, the team that he is a general manager for, are currently tied for first place with the Peterborough Lakers in the Major Series League at 5-2 after seven games, 10 points, and uh, they're 3-1 at home, the friendly confines of the Toronto Rock Athletic Centre out there in Oakville. And really, the East is shaping up to be a four-horse race between Peterborough, Peterborough, Oakville, Brooklyn, who's one point behind the top two, and then Six Nations, who's one point behind Brooklyn. And then it's a big drop-off before you get Brampton, who has two points, and Coburg, who's 0-6-1, Coburg being the former Kitchener-Waterloo Bears, who moved to Coburg and are the Kodiaks, Those are really the Kitchener-Waterloo Kodiaks, I just always remember Mikey Teeter calling them the Purple Bears, so that's just kind of where that came from. Um, but like I said, it's a, a four-horse race right now out east, Peterborough, Oakville, Brooklyn, and Six Nations, and... You kind of, it's kind of been that way for a while. Uh, Brampton has had its moments in the past couple years. Um, you know, in the early 2000s, it was them in Peterborough or them in Six Nations, constantly battling. They've taken a dip. Oakville has sort of risen. Uh, the old hashtag Oakville Rising, as Rosie likes to use. Um, and Brooklyn's had a solid resurgence. It really shows that when you can get all your guys to commit and play for you, how good a team. That West Macaulay uh, or West McCullough, sorry, has put together out there in within Brooklyn, and you know it's going to be an interesting road to the East Final because you know you're going to have guys dipping in and out um, with MLL commitments. Um, it's summer back East. There's weddings and guys take vacations with their families, but it looks like a lot of these teams are kind of close to full roster. Uh, John Grant played his first game of the summer with Peterborough last week, had four points in one game, so it's great to see Junior back. Uh, You know, it's unfortunate that Curtis Dixon's not there for Peterborough, but it just kind of opens things up. And then when you, like, that's how close, like, two points separates first through fourth. That's how close it is. But then when you look at the scoring leaders, it's not close. Sean Evans. Coming off a fantastic season with the New England Black Wolves. Um, possible MVP year. In seven games, he has 49 points. Quick math, seven points a game. He's 19 points ahead of Cody Jamison, who's played one last game. And then Adam Jones, Evie's teammate in Peterborough, who's also played one less game is 21 points back. Like, that's just ridiculous. Evie, 14 goals, 35 assists, 49 points. Oh, by the way, 25 penalty minutes. It's not going to be a season like an Evie season if he doesn't have a few pims. But it's absolutely incredible. Like, I've done it, and guys at the top level have done it. I was never a top-level guy, so... You know, I, I, you know, for me, it wasn't that hard because I wasn't playing an 18-game schedule. I was maybe playing here or there, 12 or 10 or 15 or whatever it was during the season. I was never the guy. I'm okay with admitting it. But Sean Evans is the guy. And, like, look at how much lacrosse some of these guys have played over the past little, little bit. Evie went a full NLL season last year into a full summer of lacrosse with Peterborough making it to the Man Cup, gets a couple months off, then it does another full season in the NLL with New England and right back into it with the Peterborough Lakers. These guys take an absolute beating all year long, and when you go from playing on turf to playing on turf and concrete or if you're out west, from playing on turf to playing on concrete to playing on parquet floor takes a lot on the body. But to see these guys still getting it done at a high level consistently for 10 months out of the year is nothing short of phenomenal. You know, you're playing 2-3 games a week, add in a couple practices, plus family, plus regular day job, plus travel all the way across Southern Ontario to get to some of these games. Like it's a lot. You know, Vancouver teams and teams on the island, they don't really know what it's like to have to drive from, you know, Brampton to Peterborough or Oakville to the borough. There's some long road trips, especially when you factor in all that traffic. I think the longest road trip, if you're not an island team, is probably driving from Coquitlam to Langley or Coquitlam to Maple Ridge. Is that like 25 minutes? 40 if you catch a little bit of traffic. There's like two-hour, three-hour bus rides out east. Not in the senior loop anymore, but in senior B, when you're going to some of those teams, some travel, man. But just how close the east is right now is fantastic. And the the talent of lacrosse out there, uh, like the talent out west here in the WA, is good. Don't get me wrong. There's some unbelievable lacrosse players out here, bar none. No questions asked. It's just double the amount that's in Ontario. It's just numbers, man. It's not a knock on anybody. It's just pure numbers. So we'll keep an eye on the major series lacrosse league as it goes on. But closer to home here on the OTCB podcast, the Western Lacrosse Association continues. Uh, As I record this, Burnaby and Victoria are getting ready to play tonight in the Swamp. That will be a fantastic game. You can see it on play full screen if you just happen to catch this before that game starts. Uh, All the games are on play full screen. You can check them out. $8 uh, per game. And Maple Ridge got back onto the winning side. They have embraced their lead. It's now a three-point lead over the Victoria Shamrocks, who are going to try to close that gap a little bit tonight. Uh, Jesse King makes his season debut with Victoria tonight on Tuesday. It appears that Adam Shute will make his first appearance for Victoria next Friday when New West goes to Victoria. Uh, I'll have that call from the Q Center. It's uh, Victoria Shamrock alumni night. Um, One of the legends of Victoria Shamrock's lore, Whitey Severson, will have his number eight retired. Uh, Shamrocks don't have a lot of numbers retired. I think it's actually the first one that will be retired. There was um, John Crowther's was semi-retired, his number 22. And then when Gary Gate came back back to play for Victoria, he had gone to the Crowther family and Betty Crowther and asked if he was able to wear it. And she said, absolutely, of course he can. So the number basically came out of retirement. I think the last guy to wear 22 might have been Tom Hayek. Uh, I can't think of anybody who's worn it since. And I'm not sure. Brad Cree might have been the last guy to wear eight. For Victoria. Um, But uh, Friday night they will hang it from the rafters. As Whitey Severson will be on hand. As will players from decades long ago. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and the 2000s. Will all be on hand. So it will be a fantastic night in Victoria. Friday night. So if you can get there, great. But as I said in the opening. The Wild Wild West reared its ugly head again. Uh, A couple weeks ago, it was Maple Ridge and Burnaby that sparked the whole surety bond thing. Uh, We all know how that went. And then uh, last Friday, Brody McDonald lost his lid um, in uh, the game against Victoria. He served his two games, and then in his first game back, he's playing Nanaimo this past Saturday, and uh, the Langley Thunder are getting absolutely routed. Um, And then the craziest things happened and I have spoken to numerous people who were there and this is this. The story doesn't matter. The, what happened doesn't matter, but it's a growing concern that needs to be addressed. There was an incident, um, not on the floor. It was off the floor and it involved players that weren't dressed, it involved uh, management from the Langley Thunder, and it was ridiculous what happened. And as a result, and seeing this, uh, they had to stop the game because a fight, a, a, an incident had just happened, um, the, there was a stoppage in play, and then all of a sudden you can hear the announcers saying, uh-oh, there's a fight over in the corner. And the camera starts to pan, and next thing you know, you see Brody McDonald leaving the player's bench, climbing over the glass and going to see what's going on. Because he realized, and after I talked to him, he said, it was one of my players and somebody from my organization being harassed and in an altercation. I'm going every time. And so he went over the glass and went to go see what was going on. Didn't do a thing other than leave the playing surface and go into the stands to be with his teammates. Brandon Cleland did the same thing, and he said the reason why he went is that because his dad was over there, and his dad had just had shoulder surgery, and he was worried that his dad was going to get involved, so he went over. Now, the Frank Crane Arena isn't... um, The easiest to avoid situations because both teams go down the back hallway together and there's only really one way to get down there other than the main entrance off the players' floor, off the floor between the benches. There's that one side angle or side alleyway and all hell broke loose. The concern is, and it was one of the concerns brought up by the Board of Governors in relation to the Maple Ridge incident, and that was security. And that teams, they said Maple Ridge needed to do a better job to make sure that there was security on hand. And Maple Ridge said, fine, we will make sure that we hire an independent security service and they will be on hand. Uh, There's security at most games that I've been to. Uh, Whether it's a real forceful presence or whether it's just a couple guys making sure everything's in order, it varies in degrees from rink to rink. But this is just a case of there not being enough security in the right places, and unfortunately, I don't think security maybe would have been able to um, stop what happened. Maybe it would have. Who knows? Again, the what happened isn't the issue. It's what is allowing it to happen. And so, you know, the 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 Western Lacrosse Association suspended both McDonald and Clellan a game apiece for basically jumping over the boards and going into the stands. Langley was fined $500 and Langley, or sorry, Langley was fined $500 and Nanaimo was fined $1,000. But none of the people that were involved in the actual fight got anything. And more surprising is that if you look at the game sheet, nothing on the game sheet is reported of players leaving the bench, like McDonald nor Cleland got penalties. And I'm not arguing the fact that, well, because they didn't get penalties or it's not on the game sheet, they shouldn't get penalties. They left the playing surface. Like, you can't go into the crowd. I completely understand their reasoning, but you can't leave the bench and go into the crowd. You can't. You can't. And that's why we need security at these games. And there's just so many things going involved going uh, that are involved. And the WLA reacted quickly. And they made their suspensions and handed out their fines. But it just shocked me that the people who were involved get nothing. And the two guys that went to go protect people but didn't get involved... Each got a game. And for those asking, no, they can't appeal them as Casey Cook pointed out, the former commissioner of the WLA. And as I forgot, because I used to ask him this all the time, uh, you can't appeal one game suspensions. So, uh, McDonald will have to sit again as these two teams will play again on Wednesday. And you know what? I, I often question what schedule makers are thinking when they do things. Um, Sometimes I'm, I'm, I rave about them. Like, I love when teams have to do the Island Double. It's a tough challenge. You want to test yourself? Do the Island Double. I like it. You don't got to do it to every team, but every team should have to do it maybe once every couple of years. But Langley and Nanaimo will play their entire three-game series in 12 days. 10 days. No, 11 days. My math stuff. They played last Saturday. They played or two Saturdays ago, this past Saturday, and they're going to play again Wednesday. That's insane. Now, I don't think any craziness will come Wednesday. It could in this league, I don't doubt anything anymore. And let's just hope that we can get back to playing lacrosse. And showcasing this game. As one player or one representative from a team told me, one of the reasons that guys are leaving, it's not because other players are disrespecting them. It's because of the situations that are going on and that the officials aren't up to standards and nobody's holding the officials accountable. And I harped on the National Lacrosse League for this. And I have to harp on the WLA. Because, like, I know it's not easy to find good refs. I understand that. Like, there is an epidemic of good referees, referees that have played at a high level, referees that truly understand the ins and outs of the game. Like, those are hard to find. There's not many former WLA or NLL players refing. I think Greg Pepper's the only true one, and I haven't seen him ref a game in a long time. Like, find me a guy who played NLL that's refing. Find me a guy that's a former WLA or MSL guy that's refing. They don't exist. And we need those types of guys because they understand what goes on. They understand the flow of the game. They understand how to let things get be gotten away with, but to keep things under wraps. Like, it it sounds weird, but you have to give a little and take a little. It's 50-50. And I always say that we need more players currently and former players coaching we also need those guys reffing and reffing is a job that nobody wants to do because everybody hates you no matter what but if we can get people who are on the floor that will understand and will keep peace properly then maybe some of these things, like you can't, obviously officials aren't at fault for what happened in Nanaimo. I don't think the officials have been at fault for a lot of the incidences that have happened, but we just need that group of the game to be better. The players need to be better. The referee needs to be better. Everybody can improve, right? Like it's not just one group. But when I have players and coaches and GMs telling me that they're not happy with the officiating, and when I have players telling me that they're probably not ever going to play in this league again, it's worrisome. Because I truly believe that the WLA product is dying. And it's not like it's going to be extinct But we need to find a way to grow this sport. And I'm not talking like world globally or anything like that. But we all need to do a better job of making this game as good as it can be. So, there's my soapbox. Um, Oh, hey there. Where's my book? Here it is. Uh, We started this little trend last week. Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader book. Uh, We will go to page 19 in honor of Josh Sanderson and just see what we can find here. Page 19. Oops. Uh, Let's do um, High Wire Act. During a parade through Ventura, California, a drum major twirled his baton and threw it high into the air. It hit a power cable and melted. It also blacked out 10 blocks, put a radio station off the air, and started a grass fire. It's another reading from Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader book. Over the next three weeks, the National Lacrosse League will begin to announce the finalists for their 12 National Lacrosse League awards. Uh, They started yesterday with the Sportsmanship Award. It'll go all the way through Monday, July 11th, with the presentation of the Media Person of the Year Award, a.k.a. the Tom Borelli. Um, It is the only award where they just announced the winner, not the three finalists. Uh, But as I mentioned, they started yesterday with the Sportsmanship Award, and the nominees were Carson Leung of the Calgary Roughnecks, Kyle Matisse of the Georgia Swarm, and Ben McIntosh of the Saskatchewan Rush. Leung had a career-low two-penalty-minute season. He also had 18 points. He was 17th overall in the league in shooting percentage and had 22 cause turnovers, which was good for 18th. Matisse was 5th on the Swarm in scoring, tied for 27th in the league with 62 points. He had a career-high in points. Also, he had 12 penalty minutes and 65 loose balls and 18 gains for Georgia. McIntosh was fourth on the rush and 27th in the league, scoring with 62 points, nine penalty minutes, and a career-high 89 loose balls. Well, today, Tuesday, the NLL announced the three nominees for Defensive Player of the Year, and no real surprise, but a bit of a surprise, as Kyle Rubish, his four-year run is over. I really wanted to see him get five, but I think... That's a little too much. The Nick Lidstrom of the NLL will just have to wait. Uh, the three nominees for Defender of the Year Rubish won't be too upset because two of his teammates are nominated Captain Chris Corbeil and Ryan Dilks, along with Steve Priolo of the Buffalo Bandits. Corbeil finished third among NLL defensemen in points with 20 and good for a career high with 13 assists, fourth in loose balls. Balls, which was 10th in the league and 7th among non faceoff men. He had 27 turnovers, 7th most in the league, and tied for 5th among all defenders. Dilks led the league with 51 cause turnovers, the heck second highest total single season in league history. He was tied for 2nd among NLL defensemen in assists, 5th in points, and 7th in goals, which were all career highs. Priola was 4th in points among defenders with 19. Tied for 4th in goals, 5th in assists, and 7th in loose balls with 112, which were the 16th most in the league overall. All three are fantastic defenders. Uh, Priolo was, I had a chance to watch him with the Shamrocks last year, and that guy is a bigger, meaner, stronger Rob Kirkby. And Ryan Dilks is a Rob Kirkby. And Chris Corbeil is just an absolute consummate professional. Like, punch in, punch out, where's my blue collar and where's my hard hat? Couldn't go wrong with either of the guys. I've said for most of the year that I believe Ryan Dilks will win it this year, but it'll be interesting to see. Two guys from the same team who might take votes away from each other. Uh, Priolo, the only Eastern guy, so that might play into favor. I once had an, an LLGM tell me that sometimes when he's stuck between deciding that he will pick the guy in his conference. So sometimes it's not about who's the best. Sometimes it's just about who the guy wants to win more. And unfortunately, it's just the kind of way it goes sometimes. I'm sure it happens in most big league sports, but we have three fantastic finalists of Corbeal, dokes and Priolo Uh, Wednesday the 22nd the transition finalists will be awarded and then Thursday the goaltender of the year finalists will be awarded then they'll wait until Monday before announcing the Les Bartley award for head coach and then the rest of that week will be the GM of the year rookie of the year and most valuable player they'll take a few days off start on July 5th with the teammate of the year the wingman of the year and the executive of the year and then wait until the following week when they will announce the Borelli Award winner. So lots to look forward to. Um, I know a lot of people aren't happy that the NLL does it this way. I'm not a fan. Like I like I like the unveiling of the three finalists. Don't get me wrong. This is sweet. I I'm a fan of this. Uh, it can build up hype. It can build up awareness. But then to have to wait, um, like three months. September 27th like that's after an entire summer after the Man Cup and the thing the argument that fans and players alike say well by then everyone's forgotten it's been so long like when did the National Cross League end June 4th if I can recall correctly and now we have to wait until September 27th, until we find out who wins all these these awards. You know, I understand that it's hard to bring this all together and that they want to um, tag team it with the Hall of Fame ceremony. That's great. I, I'm okay with that. And again, the announcing of the three finalists, Great. But I just don't like that it's three months away or four months away. That it's, you know, um, that they didn't do it during the playoffs because they didn't want to take away and they didn't want the news to get lost in the shuffle. I'm sorry. The The news is going to get lost from the time that you announced the last one until you actually do your award ceremony. It just doesn't make sense to me. Why not move that whole weekend to like the weekend after the finals? Give it a couple weeks. Do it at the start of July. Do it Canada Day weekend. Do it the weekend before Canada Day. There's still hype around the NLL. It's still buzzing. But now to wait three months, it just loses its luster, that's all. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be, um, you know, it'll be an emotional weekend with the Hall of Fame and everything. And I'm sure they'll probably do it at the Toronto Rock Athletic Center again. And and they'll, you know, have the presentations and everything. There'll be people that'll be great. But it just would be that much better if we didn't have to wait to September. The Coquitlam Junior Adenax before we get you out of here, are 14-0. and 0. They've had a couple scares here and there. But they have 184 goals, and they've allowed 100 less goals. 84 goals against. 192 Pims. They've won 14 straight. 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. that all happen when you've won 14 straight. They're six points clear of the second-place Delta Islanders and the New Westminster Salmon Bellies. And then there's a six-point gap between the Port Coquitlam Saints, who lead the Victoria Shamrocks by just two points. And Victoria coming off a huge win against Delta this weekend, which really buoyed their spirits as they try to get in the race for fourth, or even fifth, because remember, as announced Just before the season started, the BC Junior A League changed their playoff format. There's now going to be a wild card game. As they say, it's in recognition of how hard teams are working and how close the competition level is. So the fourth and fifth place team will play a best of three series. The winner of the wild card will play the first place team and two will play three in a best of seven series. Both winners of those second round series move on to league championships and, as it were, will move on to the Minto, but they'll play in a best-of-three series because the league feels that representing BC at the best level and as fresh as they could is the most important thing. And then, as I said, both teams will go to the Mintos being held at the LEC August 19th through 29th. So... Fourth is great. So was fifth. You'd love to be second or third because nobody really wants to play Coquitlam really ever. They have had some close games, though. Uh, their game on June 18th with Delta, they squeaked out with an 11-8 win. Uh, they had a 9-7 win over New West at the start of June. Uh, you know, they've been in some battles. It's not like they're blowing everybody out every weekend. Um so they're, they're getting tested, but that defense, and Bob Chavez highlighted it in uh, his BC Junior A Lacrosse League three stars this week over on Inside Lacrosse. It's really anchored by Christian Del Bianco, and he just continues to grow with confidence. Uh, he's played 13 games here. He's 12 and 0, has a ridiculous 6.1 goals against average, and an 85.9 save percentage. Uh, He spent the year as Calgary's third-string goalie in the National Lacrosse League, and he has just blossomed into one of the best young goaltending prospects we've ever seen in lacrosse. It's not often that GMs will drool over a goalie who's still only intermediate. He's now a full-fledged junior lacrosse player. But... Last year, when he was setting the BC Junior A League on fire, he was a second-year intermediate. And NLL GMs were coming to watch him from far and wide. They are still watching him because, you know, with the three goalies that Calgary has, Poulin, Shiliano, and Del Bianco, they can't keep all three forever. So it'll be interesting to see if teams maybe start throwing some options at Calgary. When an when expansion happens and it's coming, you know, goalies are going to be at a premium. And if you're carrying three, you're probably going to lose a good tender. Most teams carry 3-1 in a practice roster, but Calgary has three goalies that could be and should be and will eventually be one day all-day starters in the NLL. Poulin has done it. Shiliano has done it. And Del Bianco is not far off. And he just continues to shine in the BC Junior A Lacrosse League. Uh, last year he was 12 and 0. Sorry, this year he's 12 and 0. Last year he was 10 and 0. The year before, when he was a first year intermediate, he came up and was 6 and 0. He doesn't lose a lot of lacrosse games, does Christian Del Bianco? It's just silly how good this kid is. And Calgary has him in their fold and just waiting to unleash him on the world. But it's going to be hard because he's going to want playing time. He's not like... And and if he can keep the level-mindedness of his head and just wait his turn... Like, look at Aaron Bold how long it took him to become a number one guy. It took Frankie a couple years before he was a number one guy. Poulin had to wait his turn. Most guys that are starting in the NLL right now all had to wait their turn behind somebody. And Del Bianco just needs to wait his turn because it's going to happen. There's going to be a team who throws a ridiculous trade offer at Calgary. And it's gonna happen because they're they need to move one of those goalies, I think. They do. And it, like I don't think I don't think Christian's the guy they trade because he is their future. Frankie's there now. I wouldn't doubt to see them move pooling out east. But if you're going to keep Frankie and and Christian, then you have an incredible one too, and that gives Christian another year of grooming. He'll definitely get some playing time next year. And then when expansion comes, he could be a guy teams go after if he doesn't get protected in a dispersal draft, or sorry, an expansion draft. But I'm looking forward to watching him play this weekend when Coquitlam comes to town to take on the Victoria Junior Shamrocks. And this Coquitlam team is just, they they don't rebuild, they retool. And they're looking to avenge a loss to Six Nations last year in the Minto Cup. And they will be looking to continue their impressive streak throughout the rest of the BC Junior A Lacrosse League. So keep an eye on number 35 in purple and gold. I want to thank Josh Sanderson for stopping by this week and giving us some time. Um, it's just, again, uh, a remarkable career, 1,357 points, 100 playoff goals, two Champions Cups, and an MVP, Champions Cup MVP trophy to go along with it. He broke the NLL single season assist record four times. He is one of the greatest of all time, an icon a legend, and the game will miss him indelibly. And I'm not sure when the next time we will see a player of Josh Sanderson's caliber and strength and professionalism and spirit both on and off the floor. There are guys that are incredible across players, incredible human beings in and out, but there was just something about Josh Sanderson it was different. And it's going to be really different not to see him playing in the National Cross League. However, he said for him, it wasn't a tough decision. And those are sometimes the best decisions. And I'm so glad that he was able to go out on his terms. I know he would love to keep playing at a high level. Sometimes the body just says, that's it, we're done, I'm out. And so Josh... Thank you for everything over 19 years of professional lacrosse. That'll do it for another edition here on the off the crossbar podcast. We didn't get commissioner Nick Sakevich We hope to have him uh, maybe sometime in July. I would talk to the league and he's just incredibly busy. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If he can't find 20 and a half hour to give to us because he's busy, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Take your time. We're in no rush but we'll get him on. We're also going to have Cliff Paskus, the chair of the 2016 uh, World Under-19 Field Lacrosse Championships that will be taking place in Coquitlam in July. He's going to come on the show. Uh, it's going to be a world event, so we want to make sure we give it uh, a little bit of love and just let you know on how you can attend, where you can watch, uh, and all those little juicy tidbits because there's going to be teams from all around the world. And I do believe there's going to be some Uh, webcasts of the game as well so we'll be sure to ask Cliff that Uh, and then we'll just kind of continue to circle around the world of lacrosse as news breaks we'll get it to you here as quickly as we can if you want you can follow me on Twitter at off the crossbar there's an e on the end of cross we've had some great debates on there over the past few days and weeks with everything that's going on in the WLA and the Josh Sanderson retirement Um, and just lacrosse in general so uh get on twitter join the conversation and if you want email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com that'll about do it here from zone control in victoria bc and a wrap on another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Happy Aboriginal Day. Happy National Selfie Day. And happy International Yoga Day. I've done all three today. I taught in multi-yoga. To I took a selfie. And I played a little across. I wish you an incredible rest of the week. Have a fantastic weekend. Take a friend to a game. Enjoy all the action. And remember, be excellent to each other. Don't
2: you know me?